0: We're just going to go to Mark's uh, Gospel, chapter 16, and as I said, we've already read these eight verses. We're going to revisit them again, and then I want to talk about just three things this morning. Look, I want to talk about a bunch of stuff this morning. I'll just be honest with you. I'm fired up. We've, uh, we've been uh, in Holy Week, and there's just so much that goes on there. We've, been, we've just so enjoyed sort of absorbing all that God has for us, but I want to just look at three things... And it's these three things. I want to look at the eighth day, all right? I want to then look at Anastasis, secondly. And then I want to look at a young man. So let us read here and see and hear the Word of God. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they might go. ...and anoint him is his body, which was a common first century Jewish practice, by the way. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man And so they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Sabbath day is the last day of the week. It's the seventh day, right? You remember in the Genesis story, God sets up his order in this way. He creates on the first day. ...the second day, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. That was us, remember? Thanks be to God He created us, gave us life. And then on the Sabbath day, what does He do? He rests. He rests from His work. He's worked six days. Now He rests on this last day, which happens to be Saturday... ...which is the Sabbath day. But notice our text doesn't begin on the Sabbath day... ...but rather when the Sabbath day had passed. Which... ...then becomes the eighth day, right? Do my math right here, correct? It's the first day of the week, but it's the eighth day in the sequence of a week. And this is significant because it is on this day that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, what day is that? It's today. <laughs> it's Sunday. It's the very first day of the week. And so, early on, and you can see, this is, Mark is the earliest account, as far as we can tell... ...from the manuscript evidence of Jesus' resurrection... ...his life, his death, his teachings. He's the first one. And it's one of the shortest ones. We literally have eight verses here... ...that recount the entire resurrection story. Now, when some of you tell a story... ...you don't get it down to eight verses. Anybody with me? Now, if you ask me how my day was... ...I can get it down to about eight verses. Don't ask Jessica that and expect eight verses... All right, so Mark is going to be very pointed, very keyed in on what he wants us to hear about the testimony of the resurrected Lord. You remember how this week began with the triumphal entry. We even, we even did it together, didn't we? Waving our palm branches. You remember, we, surf, we processed around... Uh, this, this sanctuary, waving them, shouting Hosanna. But we know how the week ended and it wasn't with Hosanna in the highest. But rather with the words from some of those same people that had shouted Hosanna and had put all of their hope into Jesus. They then were saying crucify him. Away with him. And chose him over a robber. And we went through the events of this week... ...Spy Wednesday... ...which we didn't necessarily observe with a service... ...which is where Judas decides to betray Jesus. We did participate in our Monday Thursday service... ...where right here in this place... ...we recounted the events of that night... ...which are many. He washes the disciples' feet. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And he gives a new mandate... ...which is to love one another... As he has loved us. The loving one another wasn't the new mandate. It was loving one another as Jesus has loved us. And we remembered that that means loving our enemies, that that means actually doing good to those who persecute us. Have you ever tried that? It's not an easy one, to do good to them. It's one thing to think good of them or to pray for them, but to do good to them. Jesus institutes a new mandate on this night, and then we recounted the events that happened on Friday, which is where our Lord dies, the Lord of all of creation, God himself incarnate in the flesh. ...hanging on a tree. And so the week ends with disappointment. By Saturday, which is the Sabbath... ...the disciples are... ...scattered. The disciples are in fear. Because if they were close to this one... ...who was hanging on a tree... ...guess what happens next? The week had come to an end... ...with a very different... ...ending... ...than it had began... And you know, this is not uncommon for herds of people to act like this, right? You know what a herd is, right? You know, like, just like we talk about herd immunity, that's just a big group of people. And you've probably seen, like me, at least, this is my recollection of what a, how a herd acts, is like those wildebeest, you, you know what I'm talking about? Wildebeest is actually a Dutch word, I had to look this up, it's a Dutch word that means wild beast, are you familiar with these wildebeests? Just shake your head like, yeah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Like these things are, they're not the smartest animal. I'm just going to go ahead and lay that out there. And they run in these huge packs and herds. And you've probably seen it before. They're just, dun, dun, dun. they don't really look up or around or even where they're going. They run right into a river, it seems like, every single time where there is a ginormous crocodile. And inevitably, one of them gets eaten and they're all jumping and they don't know what to do and they all... ...follow the herd. Have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? They're just, they're ...and then one of them takes a left and everybody goes left. And if you wanted to stop and go right... You, ...I'm just telling you, in a herd... ...it's very, very difficult. And that's kind of the point. With a herd mentality... ...with a cultural mentality... ...it is actually really difficult to shrimp, swim upstream. It's really difficult to turn to the right way... ...when everybody else is going the wrong way. It's not easy. It's going to cost you. And it may even cost you your life. It did Jesus. If I had come back from the dead... ...after people had mistreated me... ...betrayed me... ...said I was innocent and still put me to death I don't know that I would have shown back up like Jesus did Jesus shows up even to those who had left him scattered away from him and he doesn't say I'm about to blast you <laughs> he doesn't give him a little piece of his mind like we want to do Instead, he shows them his wounds. See here. Touch there. He wasn't a ghost. And yet he was more than what he was before his death and resurrection. In this way, his body had changed. God is God. who doesn't change, and yet he takes on flesh that did change. ...and that did die, and that then resurrected to a new life... ...where he could pass through the wall and yet still eat fish on the shore. The herd mentality is often wrong. And we as Christians are called not to follow the herd... ...but to follow our Lord. Even if that means taking up our cross... ...and going a different way. Responding to evil a different way. Responding to injustice a different way. Think about Jesus... ...and the difference in our own culture. Our culture is always on to the next calls. They're always on to the next right... ...that we demand from our government... ...or from each other... We're on to the next cancellation. I mean, who's going to get canceled this week? We're just eager to see that. What group? What organization? The herd is vicious. The herd is relentless. Like those of us who have ADD, squirrel. They're always looking for the next thing and they forget entirely what came before. They have no recollection of history. It's whatever in the moment ...we're most passionate about. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus has. That's not the kind of justice that Jesus has. It's not the kind of Hebrew word here... ...shalom, peace, that Jesus... ...when Jesus comes back from the dead... ...he says, here's my wounds... ...of my crucified life... ...but also, peace be with you. After doing him so wrong... He offers the world peace. He offers the world forgiveness. Christian brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to offer. Not anger, not hate, love. God's kind of love. A love even for enemies. The scripture teaches that there's only two ways. There's God's way and every other way. And only His way will last forever. You see, this is a new week. <laughs> this is the eighth day. This is a new era. The night has passed and the day has come. And you know, some of us have, have long weeks like Jesus did... I remember backpacking uh, with with my brother and some other guys when we were in college and we were in a terrible thunderstorm near the last night that we were out there. And I was already tired of sleeping in a tent. It had only been four days, but I was super tired of that. And I was ready to get home. And I remember lying there thinking to myself, I cannot wait to see the rays of the sun peeking through this wood because I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to get out of this darkness. I'm ready to get out of this thunderstorm. And you know, uh, as I've, I've kind of recounted to you, I've, I've had my own dark wood that I've been walking through. And I was telling Pastor Bruce just this past week, I feel like just the other day, and thanks be to God for this, I feel like just the other day I looked around and I was out of the woods. I looked around and the sun was shining. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. But that's what I've been singing in my head. Like the kids were like, what, are you, what kind of song is that? I'm like it's the kind of song I got to sing right now. Because I've been walking through a dark wood, but all of a sudden the light is shining. It's the eighth day. It's a new week, friend. That's something to celebrate. What has been past is gone. And what is new is now happening. And he invites us to enjoy... Turn our faces to the east, so to speak, and enjoy the warmth that he brings through resurrection light. Now, what is resurrection? (laughs) Which is that term in Greek, anastasis? And you say, Why do you use these Greek, Hebrew, you're just trying to be cool, man? Like, is that your teacher thing coming out? Well, part of it is that, because if I don't use it, then I lose it. You know what I mean? So I have to use these words to remember these words... ...but it also gains perspective for us. We already have an idea of what resurrection is... ...but it might be the wrong one. If we use the Greek word... ...then we can help you get the right understanding. Just like love, right? Love can be super misunderstood. I love ice cream. I love Jessica. That's two like really different things. That's why in Greek there's four... Words for love. And when we talk about God's love, we use the term agape. And once we understand that term, it gives us significance. But there's another reason, maybe a third reason here. And that is, the devil, that serpent of old, he doesn't know everything. But he does remember the past. In fact, he's probably one of the best historians there are. And when he hears a word like anastasis in Greek... ...he knows exactly what we're talking about. When he hears agape, he hates it. Now, when he hears our word for love, it can be confusing. But when we say agape love, he absolutely hates it. Like digging in a wound in his side. And that's why I proclaim today that Jesus... ...has resurrected from the dead. Anastasis. He is alive forevermore. And that's why we should learn terms like this. We need to remind him of the future. That's a whole other discussion too, by the way. We won't have it now. Yes, resurrection is not resuscitation. Uh, It's not Jesus passed out and someone got the AED machine... ...and shocked him back to life. That's happened before. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, N.T. Wright, I think, is most helpful here. A New Testament scholar in England, he says this. Resurrection is not life after death... ...which is typically the way we would define it, right? You know, life after death. You know, you die and then you're life after death. But that's wrong. Here's why. Those of the faithful who have already died... ...like my, both my grandfathers who believed in Jesus, who fell asleep in the Lord, they're not resurrected and they still have a life after death. Am I right? Yeah, that's what we believe as Christians. They don't have their body back yet, though. That awaits the resurrection of the dead, the final resurrection. Okay, now follow me. So here's what N.T. Wright says. He goes like this, he goes, listen, it's not life after death. It's life after life after death. In other words, you never die again. This is a different thing. This is where the body is glorified in such a way that it is incorruptible. Currently, your body is corruptible. Anybody feeling that by now? You look, I'm almost 40, okay? And things are starting to happen to my body that have never happened before. Hair is moving around I mean, look, we're, we're mammals, right? And, and this is a natural process. If you've gotten old, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, my little boy, Ty, he's not in here, so I can say this. But, like, he's already got hair on his back, but I haven't always had that. And I'm enjoying some new things now that's very disturbing to me. In fact, this morning, as I was doing my shaving, I saw a hair on the side of my ear. And I'm like, what are you doing there, man? Look, our bodies are corruptible. Some of you visit the doctor regularly. In fact, older people tell me, look, your life becomes one where you talk about medical problem to medical problem. If <laughs> I knew somebody was smelling what I was stepping in here, okay? Listen, our body is going to die. It will not live forever in the way it is right now. But when we die, we go somewhere else. Our soul does. But our body remains here and turns to dust. But. There's a day coming. When everyone. Now follow me. This is something that just doesn't get taught much in Christianity. In fact I've never heard a sermon about it at all. And that is. Everybody will be resurrected. The wicked. And the righteous. And put back into their body. Some. To eternal life. Others to eternal damnation. But in your body. He's going to put us back together. Because he's going to make all things right. Which brings me to this neat conclusion about anastasis. Resurrection. Resurrection is not just coming back to life. Resurrection is God making all things right. You see, things got messed up. In fact, if you're disgruntled with the way the world is, that's a great starting point for God. Even atheists, secularists, agnostics, polytheists, henotheists, animists, you name the rest. I can name them, but you do it in your own head. All of them fall short. All of them fall short of... ...actually dealing with the real problem. But they see the problem. I I honestly don't know anybody in 2020... ...that would say, man, that was a fantastic year. Like, wow, we got it right. We finally did it. Utopia is just around the next corner. No, I think we all became disappointed, disillusioned... in, ...in things that we trusted... ...in people that we trusted. And you know what I say? That's not an entirely bad thing. If we're upset about the way things are... ...I think God comes right alongside and says... ...yes, you got the right idea. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. Something went awry. Something went wrong. And that's a great starting point. Because if you think everything is right... ...there's nowhere to go from there... Most of us understand it's not. In fact, G.K. Chesterton said famously... ...the only doctrine that can be proven empirically... ...and is proven every day in all of our newspapers... ...he only had newspapers... ...is the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of the fall of mankind. I mean, just open up your browser... ...and the bad starts coming in. It's discouraging. But that's where Jesus aims. He doesn't aim at the high and lofty things in life. Vacationing around the world when he comes. As much as I like to vacation. Now he did, I will point out, stay at the beach a lot, okay? He was around Galilee, and if you know, there's a sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean, okay? So that's a different thing. He wasn't just here to vacation. He wasn't here to retire. He was here on purpose. And he calls us to the same thing, doesn't he? But what purpose? To make all the wrong right. Now, the way he did it was by going to the cross. The way he did it was by forgiving those who hated him, mistreated him, structural injustice that put him where he was. Those that betrayed him, he forgave them and reinstituted them as an apostle. Did you catch it in the text? The young man, he says to the women. He says, look, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter had betrayed him. Just as much as Judas had betrayed him. Peter betrays him. In his moment where he needed a close friend to pull up beside him, he was betrayed. And Peter cursed and said, I don't know him. And left. Wasn't even at the scene of the execution." And the scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. Both Judas and Peter weep bitterly because of their betrayal of Jesus Christ. They're sad that it happened. But there's one big difference in Judas and in Peter. Judas takes his own life in his hands and because of his guilt, kills himself. Peter repents. Cries out to God for mercy. And our God, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense to us. Our God is a merciful God. He is a forgiving God. It, no matter how many times you fall down, if you will come to Him, He will forgive and restore you. I might not do that. Your friends might not do that. Your family might, but he will. He loves to forgive. I forgive people in my life, but I, don't, I wouldn't say that I just like love to forgive, like waiting for my next moment where I get to forgive somebody. But God, if you would just speak it, he would forgive it. If you would just confess with your mouth, you don't have it all together, that you've sinned against him, that you've withheld your life from him, that you have misused his gifts, mistreated his grace, he would forgive you and you would be back on the path with him. What a God that is. You see, Resurrection was supposed to happen at the end of all things. You know how this goes. You're watching a great story. You're, you're reading a great story. You're watching a great movie. And what happens? Something bad happens. Like, You've got a good scene. Then something goes awry. And then what happens? You're thinking, oh man, how in the world are they going to bring... They only have five more minutes in the show. How in the world are they going to bring it together? Now why do we even expect things to turn out good? I think it's built within the heart of humanity. Within our imagination. Eternity placed in us to assume that, you know what? In the end, things are going to turn out right. And so we start expecting in the movie, right? At the end of the movie, to make all things right. And, you know, it's a wonderful, like, what's that name? Uh, Endgame? Jackson, I think you were watching that recently. Endgame, is that like the Marvel thing, right? You remember this? And, and like... That big old ugly dude uh, killed everybody in the world or half, half the pop, third population, whatever it was. Okay, some of you are experts and nerds about it, but I'm not. And uh, what, what happens? They turn to dust, remember? I mean, I think they got, I think they got that right. They turn to ashes, which is exactly why we, at the beginning of Lent, right? And then they're just gone. And everybody's sad, the entire world. But you're thinking to yourself, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa if this really is how this movie ends, I'm never watching this stupid thing again. And I'm going to write the editor. I mean, what a dumb show. What a dumb story. Now, the only reason we think that is because right in the middle of the story, I mean the story of life, history, time and space, Steps in a Jewish man by the name of Jesus. In fact, Mark tells us, hang on, Jesus of Nazareth, the one crucified, is that who you're looking for? Notice the historicity of everything that's being said here in this text. That Jesus, right in the middle of the story, he is not here, he is risen. Whoa, 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 back up the truck. Hang on, I thought that was supposed to happen at the end. No, no, right in the center is anastasis, resurrection. Right in the middle. Which is why Jesus is the center of all things. It's why, for us Christians, we date our own birthdays 1981 from 1981 years from when he showed up. That's when I was born. And when he came, he lived a sinless life, he died, and he rose again. That's a summation of the gospel. That is what we're all here to testify to, to bear witness of. And that witness has been passed down. That whole thing that you said in the Nicene Creed about an apostolic church, that just simply means the apostles... ...witness something that they then told to somebody else... ...that they then told to somebody else... ...and guess what we're doing today in this house of worship? We're telling it again. He is risen! See? You're witnessing to the fact of the resurrection... ...right in the middle of the story. It's almost as if you're going to watch a play... ...and and then all of a sudden in the play... ...the curtain comes down... ...all the actors fade away... ...and all of a sudden the director, the storyteller, the author steps out and says, let me just give you a sneak peek of what's going to happen at the end. The author of life, Paul says, showed up and he took on our sin, bore it on a cross, which is why we sing, by the way, It's because we have something to sing about as Christians. Some religions don't sing. Muslims, they don't sing. They chant. They don't sing. We sing. Every time we get together, we read scripture and we sing because this is evidence of the fact of the resurrection light that is now shining. Do you see along that light? You see, I would say this, just like with C.S. Lewis. It's not enough. It's not enough. ...just to look at the resurrection story. You must begin to see all of life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the central story that is our story. If you're a baptized Christian here today, it is your story. And we need to tell it well. C.S. Lewis said he found himself in a tool shed. And... It was a dirty tool shed because, you know, most tool sheds are dirty. They're a place of work. It's kind of nasty and sort of dangerous. Except that there was a little breach in the roof where light was shining in. And so there was a beam of light that was sort of giving a little bit of light to this dirty, disorganized tool shed. And so he said, as he looked along that light, you know, you can see those dust particles. You know what I'm talking about? Your, dust, ...your house has dust as well. I don't care how clean it is. If you get a little ray of light coming in... ...you'll see dust particles, right? It's shining in. So he says he can kind of see... ...he can, can kind of see, see in there... ...but not, not so well. Then he gets along that beam of light. He says there's a difference in looking at the light... ...and looking along the light. Have you ever experienced this? You all of a sudden actually let your eye catch that beam of light and you see the sun 90 some odd million miles away and he said he was able to then see trees that were blowing in the wind outside and an entirely new world opened up in that old dirty tool shed because he was looking along the light do you see my point you see his point if we recognize that something's wrong with this world, the only way we recognize it is because of the light of Jesus Christ. But it's not enough just to see that it's wrong. It's not enough just to see that there is a light shining. We must then align ourselves by faith to see along the light of Jesus Christ. Or else we're blind. We're still in darkness. No, friend. (laughs) His light is shining. We need to turn and face the east. Turn and face the light of Jesus Christ in our own lives. Now, lastly, this whole business of this young man here. Notice in verse 5, and entering the tomb, these women saw a young... By the way, real quick. Women in the first century, uh, they could not testify in court... Because the understanding of the day, kind of the the herd mentality of the day, was that women were generally hysterical. Not not, not funny. We use that word like, oh yeah, that's hysterical. No, no. I mean like overwhelmed with emotions. And therefore could not be trusted in a court of law. And weren't, in fact. Um, And so both in the Roman world and in the Jewish world, that was just the accepted practice of the day. So if you were making up a story about the resurrection and wanting people to believe that story, you certainly wouldn't have in every one of the accounts, which all four of them have this, um, that women were the first one there. Excuse me, because in that day? No. That wouldn't have been accepted at all. In fact, it would have been pretty spurious. But in our account, who's there? Mary Magdalene? ...who, by the way, also had a mental disorder, we would say. Possessed by seven demons. Like, that's who you're going to pick? And name by name? Oh, yeah. That's who. And then, what, the only man that's mentioned? You're going to pick Peter? Don't you remember he, like, failed? Pick one of the disciples, like John, who was there at the cross. No, Peter, who's the rock of the church... ...the beginning of the apostolic line. Do you see what kind of God we're dealing with? This is not a God that's made up in our head. This is a true, factual story... ...that we have to wrestle with. Either we believe it or we don't. And if we believe it, then we live... ...in the light of the resurrection. Okay, now, back to this young man. So, they saw, these women saw... ...a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this young man. If you were in my small group, we kind of dealt with this a little bit. Um, but those of you who aren't privy, I'm, I'll walk back up just a, just a page or so in your copy of Scripture and look at the betrayal of Jesus. He's betrayed and arrested between chapters, uh, chapter four, 14, 43, verses 43 through 50. Okay, And here's the last thing it says about it. And they, this is verse 50, and they all left him and fled. And then we get what in literary style we call an inclusio. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now that's the first time we see it. And it's like... You've probably seen inevitably like one of your favorite episodes, right? There's a character that comes in and you know they're going to have a showing later, but they kind of introduce them, but then they leave them alone for a couple episodes. Anybody with me? Nobody watches TV? Okay, whatever. Um, In certain movies, they'll do this as well. They'll introduce a character and then they'll back them away. You're like, whoa, 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 hang on. That's still hanging out there. If you're paying close attention, which I do when I watch stuff, I watch stuff on purpose. Jessica doesn't, but I do. Um, they will introduce this character so they can bring him up again, right? That's inclusio. So, so it's almost like doing a concentric circle. You bring him in here, you don't, fill, you don't circle the gap. You stop it, and people are like, whoa, hang on. I think that's still left out there hanging, right? Like, who the heck is this young man? And why are you mentioning him? Because notice how the narrative flows. It's like this young man, and, then, and they led Jesus to the high priest. It, it almost doesn't even fit in the story right. Because it's obviously there on purpose. And I think it is actually a literary device used by Mark to invite us into the story. We're supposed to see ourselves as this young man. Now, many people actually believe this young man was John Mark himself who wrote the Gospel of Mark, which I I think has a lot of evidence. But he doesn't tell us, hey, hi, I'm John Mark. (laughs) They didn't do that in the ancient world, but he doesn't do it here on purpose, I think, to invite us into the story. Because guess what? This Sendona, this white linen cloth, I mean, who's out on a cold night just in a linen sheet? <laughs> a Sendona, which is the Greek word for what he was wearing. Hardly, uh, nobody in their right mind, but this guy, and when they grab him, he rips away and runs away naked. And then we see a young man. ...in the tomb. What in the world is going on here? Well, when we see the young man... ...it's at night. When we see him again... ...to circle the inclusio, remember? It's now what? It's now morning. Exact opposite of the night. Think about this. He turns away from Jesus... ...fleeing in a garden. Think about that. Does that sound familiar? Just be like, no. Fleeing in a garden, Genesis chapter 3. Anybody? Anybody who's ever read the Bible should all of a sudden be peaked. Oh my goodness, this is a garden and he's fleeing away from Jesus. What? Naked. And trying to run away and hide. Sounds like our first parents, doesn't it? Adam and Eve. Sounds like the original sin. Which is being clothed in his righteousness and then taking that off. And fleeing. Well, the next time we see him here in the, in the tomb, by the way, he's sitting on the right. <laughs> now, again, for Jewish people, some, this is lost on some of us, but like, for Jewish people, a tomb is the most unclean place you can be. Like, you might as well be eating some pulled pork today. Which I did yesterday. I mean, unclean place, a cemetery, a tombstone, a cave, darkness. But he's sitting in there talking about and living the light of Jesus Christ. The first time we see him, he has nothing to say. But the second time, he speaks the gospel. And I just think it's an invitation for all of us here in this place today. If you've taken off your baptism, if you've fled from Christ, if you have turned away, if you have had nothing to say in the past, friend, he wants to clothe you in his righteousness, in a white robe. He wants to take you to the tomb where his body is no longer there, for he is risen. He wants you to take take you down to the deepest point of his love. And then he wants us to testify to that, to speak it, to believe it. And this kind of faith, you may say, is impossible, but not with God. If you'll ask the Lord for this kind of faith, this resurrection faith, to be able to see the world on this eighth day, this new week, this new era, this new humanity, this gospel, this good news, He would give it to you. Because it is by His grace. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? What you hold in your hand. The Word of God. So today... (laughs) Today you've heard it. Today we've sung it. We've said it. Believe it. Believe today on the Lord Jesus. It's not by our power. It's not by our wisdom. But by the Holy Spirit's empowering that we can believe. That we can walk. ...in the newness of this resurrection life... ...that we too can help make the world right. That's His invitation to us. Come. See where they laid Him. Walk in this resurrection life. And I believe today that some of you can do that. You can actually get up from this place... ...get up from your seat... ...here in just a moment... ...and be invited to this supper... ...this table of the Lord... And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. He loves you more than you can imagine. And he's willing to help you make things right. That's what righteousness is, isn't it? Would you say yes to him? If so, just bow your heads right now. Just say yes to the Lord. See yourself as that young man who has turned away but now has found the empty tomb ask the lord to help you speak rightly about his resurrection and to live out his life for others in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen